Okay, what is up, everyone? Welcome into Untitled Reads. It's the uh, the series of the Untitled Van Life Project, the podcast where uh, Amy and I, that is Amy and Caleb, um, are <laughs> talking about some of their favorite some of books. Our. Some of our favorite books. Are we going to start talking third person now, like can... the person <laughs> in our book? <laughs> Yeah, we can start referring to ourselves <laughs> in the third person. Um, so there today, Amy and Caleb are going to talk about <laughs> the book Into the Wild. Now, uh, this is the second episode in the series, mm-hmm. and the first episode was dealing with a core book, um, one that we'd read several times, one that we've read um, over the years, too. It will always be in our bookshelf and probably always be something that we recommend to people. Yes. Um, the book today, like I already mentioned, Into the Wild by John Krakauer. Krakauer? Krakauer. It's hard to say uh, authors' names. Sometimes. Well, anyways, <laughs> it's a book that I think we had known about and heard about, and I'm sure you have at least heard the story of um, for years, but had just never got around to reading it, even though, you know, honestly, a lot of people had recommended this book to me over the years. I actually, I had never heard of this book till this year. Really? Really, yep. So how did you first hear about it? Peyton. Our oh. friend Peyton. Um, I mean, this is literally like... I guess in 2020, so last year, there was some time we were that at their house. Yeah, it's last so year. So you said you said you heard about it this year. You meant I forgot last we're in a new year. Yes, but if you're listening to this episode, time doesn't matter. You can listen to this episode whenever you True. want. You I can listen I to meant... it five years down the road when you read Into the Wild. <laughs> I meant I had heard about it like within 12 months from now, so like a year from right now. Mm. Um, in that time gotcha. frame, yes. But one of our friends, we were just we were at his house, and I feel like anytime we're at their house, like books just come up. I don't know. We kind of talk about books. and I think books just come up with us a lot in <laughs> Obviously general. We're doing and a... with them, too, especially. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, we're doing a podcast series on books. But... I mean, our van has a built-in bookshelf, which wasn't the reason why we bought it, but it was a huge, like, it's awesome. Huge plus. A huge plus. And we had a shit ton of books. So. Yeah. Books, but books, books. But he just kind of, I don't somehow it came up in conversation in this book, and then it's also a movie, and yeah, I had not heard mm-hmm. about it until then. And I remember being like, I don't know what that is. What is that? And he just gave me literally like a two or three sentence, you know, explanation. I mean, there's you yes. can explain it in like two or three sentences. So what is the two to three sentence explanation of Into the Wild? There is um, this guy named Chris McCandless. And this I is already too long. No, I'm just kidding. This is still one sentence. <laughs> one sentence. Okay. It's going to be the longest it's gonna be a run on sentence. Yeah. <laughs> no. There was a man who, after college, left and went out west. I've already said too much. I was going to say, a man forgoes society to live in the wild for as long as he can. And this is what happens. And this is what happens, I guess, could be the tagline of the book. As you can tell, I'm not very good at, like, really, (laughs) really summarizing. (laughs) Summarizing is hard. I like to give a lot of details. But um, this one is literally just about a guy who says screw it to everything um i guess we can kind of jump into some summary this is Mm -hmm. naturally going into the summary yes but yes as you mentioned a guy named chris mccandless Mm -hmm. um graduated college from emory and then right after that he took the remaining of his college fund that should have gone towards his master's donated it to charity and just went on what became an endless road trip or i guess it, it had an it end. Had an end it had a to his life, anyways. <laughs> it was very finite yeah, because yeah. he does not survive this trip, um, mm-hmm. and that's not a spoiler. Literally, the first sentence of the book will tell you uh, that he died. Like, I get, I don't really. The timeline's a little hard to grasp. Timeline's but he hard died, to grasp. Yeah, I think it was at least 
over a year, a year and a half into the Oh, moment. into his whole journey or into yeah. his Alaska journey? No, into his whole journey. His whole journey was like two and a half years. Two and a half think. years, okay. Yeah. That that was the part I was kind of unclear on I as think. the book actually tells it in a way that's nonlinear. Um yes. because background on the book. I don't even know how to begin this story. <laughs> you so, jump in here. Well, a little background on the book, the way it's written. The reason it's kind of hard to get, you know, the full scope of the whole timeline of the story. So the book, like you just said, it starts with the line that he dies. He does not make it mm-hmm. past a certain point in this journey. Um, so it starts out, you know, okay, this guy dies. And then it kind of just dives into, okay, how did he get to that point? He dies in the wilderness, which he was trying to live in, like, completely off grid. So mm-hmm. I think that plays into the part of, like, obviously there's not a whole lot of information out <laughs> there about him. He was trying to get rid of He a was lot trying of to not be remembered. <laughs> and now he's, and now he's a book and a movie. Uh, yes, there is a movie. And also this it. story, uh, I guess he dies in 1992 is mm-hmm. when is when they find his body up yeah. in the alaska wilderness yep. is, which was kind of the uh ultimate climax of his journey mm-hmm. that was kind of like his his goal at the end that of the whole thing adventure. his big adventure was to make it to alaska to live uh, off-grid and in the wild so the author has to go back and track his whole story essentially yeah. with no information it's almost like a detective i mean when they investigator yeah i remember when i was reading it i remember i think i mentioned he was like i kind of feel like i'm like reading like a dateline episode you know like it it is very mystery like detective work like the author essentially was a detective to write this book um he had to he had to be he was originally so when they when they found the corpse in 92 the author was the guy who originally wrote the article Mm -hmm. for the first magazine that covered it yes and he just felt really really I feel like enticed and kind of drawn to this person, Chris McCandless. I remember him mentioning he just felt like he kind of saw himself in him a little bit. Which is weird because he knew nothing about him at the yeah. time. Yeah. And so he, he just, just knew that felt... they found a corpse in Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> and they finally were able to identify that it was this mm-hmm. young man. Um, and that he had been on the road for two and a half years, mm-hmm. but and he had to track him down. Yeah. And I think I think at that point, too, he had known, I'm sure he kind of knew a little bit how he was like kind of estranged from his family and... I mean, I think with how long it took them to figure out who this guy was, that just mm-hmm. you kind of assume that. But, um, yeah, he just felt this need to, like, dive deeper into his story because I, cause he writes this and, like, there's, like, a foreword and the author says this. Like, he really just felt really drawn to Chris McCandless and just wanted to know more. He didn't just want to pass this off. It's just kind of like a story he covered in the magazine and move on. He felt really pulled into it because he saw himself in it, which you learn later in the book. The author has had some pretty intense adventures himself, especially in Alaska. Um, Honestly, the most intense adventure king <laughs> was the author. That's true. That's true. I mean, he was able to get out, but it was very He intense. did not die on his adventure like Chris McCandless does. So basically, it's just this really, really beautifully, beautiful and well-constructed sad story in some ways of this man who just really took his own path and met his big goal of living in the wild in Alaska with lots of adventures along the way to get there. Lots of adventures of closing a lot of doors that would enable him to feel free and to get out and do really what he wanted. 
Yeah, I like how you worded that, closing doors. It yeah. did talk about a lot of the doors he was trying to close to get to this point of what I think he was trying to consider like pure freedom in terms yeah. of like the purest freedom you can get while living on the world and still being kind of attached to society. So a lot of the information that we get on him and who he was as a person, um, you're able to gather from his family. So his mom, his dad, and he has one sister. But even then, his family had not heard of him once he left. Well, yeah, once he left. Once he left on his trip or his final destination, mm -hmm. they didn't hear about of him for like a few years. Yes. Until his corpse turned up. Yes. Which was, I'm sure, a shock. Yes. <laughs> so you can hear about who he was in their eyes, I guess, for the uh -huh. first... 22 years of his life um and what that was like so you learn about him from that you also hear from some of like his high school friends and things like that and his sister was a big one because he was close to his sister yeah um and then you learn more about him just from the people he met on the road um the author did a lot of detective work digging those people up the way he was able to find out who chris met on the road it was mainly through like letters and postcards well some people even like when he put out the, the magazine mm -hmm, article on the mm -hmm. original story he had i think a few of the people that chris ended up meeting like reached out to the author and mm -hmm. was like hey i i know who this guy is and i actually had like an interaction with mm -hmm. him on this trip to like get him to this point yeah he's like and i would like to share that information with you or yeah. like have a conversation mm -hmm. so some of the people we tracked down reached out to him it's almost like they presented themselves to tell this story that there was no words to <laughs> yeah 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 so let's start with Chris, before he leaves to uh -huh. go on his adventure. Oh, sorry. Tea mug. Tea mug. <laughs> drinking some tea over here while podcasting. <laughs> All right, tea. All right, tea. I mean, you got to have tea in books, right? Tea in books. Oh, that's a good combo. Tea in books series. Like we always need to have tea in books. Oh, untitled tea in books. Untitled tea in books. Change it right now. Okay, we can change the name. We might change the name later. But, yeah, so who Chris is before he goes on this big adventure. What we know... Um, he was raised by mom and dad in Virginia Beach, Maryland area, kind of just like that Washington area. Yeah, Virginia, his, dad was, Maryland. his dad worked for NASA and then he started his own business with his mom mm -hmm. that became successful, but they worked a shit ton yes. while he was growing up, but he was always a good kid and made good grades he and was, very, was a star they, athlete, right? They bring up a lot about how smart he was, like how really intelligent he was, always got really good grades, was a great athlete, sounds like just really good at whatever he put his mind to. Yes, and I do feel like some of how... So I think one intriguing thing also that led the author to write this book, this is kind of getting into more backstory, but mm -hmm. was the fact that I know another thing that he says in the book, the author, um, when he's not telling the story, is that after he put out this uh, article on Chris's like story that he knew then, this is back in like 96, is that when the magazine came out? Do you remember these dates? I don't remember that date, no. I've, uh, once he put out that, I remember, or even like once they found his corpse and he started covering it, he got a lot of messages from mainly people in Alaska yeah. but all over the world saying like this guy's an idiot like he should not be like he shouldn't get any coverage in the news he like was so unprepared he was unprepared he wasn't smart he was just like a, a down on life kind of guy and the author's like I don't think this is true yeah and, and that's kind of I think that also kind of spurred was a catalyst into him really researching and finding out kind of the backstory to this persona that is Technically, Alexander Supertramp, or technically, technically Chris McCandless, yes. 
But then he goes by the moniker Alexander Supertramp on his journey. So yeah. I think that was a big catalyst, too. So I think you get some of that kind of author bias in terms of, I mean, I, I agree with him. When you read the yeah. story, I'm like, yeah, Chris was a good kid. But he also, I think he's also combating that when yeah. he's writing in these terms. Yeah, you're right. He did, the author did mention how he got a lot of letters about that. And that just didn't feel, ring true for him. Yes. So I, I think he's trying more. to do Chris some favor here <laughs> in the story. Yeah. But, I mean, it's believable. He gives evidence and backs it up. And, yes. But he did say he got a lot of letters just denouncing uh, Chris and saying that he must have just been, like, insane or crazy. And he's like, no, this was a normal, well-off kid mm-hmm. um, who was smart, who was athletic, who had, like, everything going for him. Sounds like he could have done anything he wanted. Yeah. Really. I mean, he graduated from Emory. He was talking about something. going to law school. Yeah. Um. Yeah, he had a $25,000 college fund that was going towards whatever he wanted to do post-undergrad. His master's, undergrad. yeah, post-undergrad. Yeah. So it is interesting to find all these things out about this about this man, about this boy. Um, and then after he graduates college, he just basically just ups and goes. Yeah, I think he Like a day or two after. His- family that he's just going to take an extended road trip for the summer and never comes back (laughs) which is something it mentions it's something he's done before like the previous summers Mm -hmm. he would just kind of live out of his car and just like drive across the u.s and then come back to atlanta to go to school yeah so that wasn't out of the ordinary for him to be like yeah i'm going on another summer trip Mm -hmm. um but little did they know at that time right before he left atlanta he that twenty five thousand dollar college fund he wrote a check for $25,000 to Oxfam charity, gave it to them. So that was gone. Do you know that charity personally? I don't. Oh. I don't know that charity personally. (laughs) I just know that's the charity. Well, good Shout out to Oxfam. Um, And I guess he gets rid of all of his stuff. I think so. I don't think he had a lot. But his parents found out because the next semester when they hadn't heard from him, they could drive down to Atlanta and go to his apartment and find out that he moved out a long time ago. And then they find out that uh, he had marked, like, all their messages, letters they had been writing him as, like, return to sender Mm -hmm. or something. Or, like, no, he had them being held at the post office for, like, a few months until he could disappear. Until, like, August or Until September. Like, yeah, and, t- and then they all got shipped back to his parents, and they're like, he wasn't getting any of these. Because, of course, once those get but shipped back. But he didn't back, want us to know. <laughs> his parents are going to know, oh, yeah. something's wrong. So it so is. he was it's trying just, to disappear. He was trying, and, like, he was successful at it for, like, three or four months uh-huh. before they were able to find out something was up. He starts going by the name Alexander Supertramp. Changes his name. I mean, gets rid of all of his identification burns the cash he has in yeah. his first event. Yeah. Yeah. And he and heads so out west. Now starts Alexander Supertramp's journey. Yeah, now is when he becomes Alexander Supertramp, which uh he takes his dad's son, which is mentioned a lot, his like favorite car and drives It is mentioned a lot. And drives out west, basically to kind of the areas we've been driving around and it, living around. It was interesting reading this book right now in this moment of life that I'm mm-hmm. in because one, yeah, he's exploring a lot of the areas that we've been staying in or, like, Cities know. we've heard of or people have told us about and, mm-hmm. like, the areas he's in. I'm like, oh, yeah. The, he, no, like, exactly. he describes it. Yeah. And I'm like, this is literally our back door right now. So yeah. that is cool. Yeah. That part is cool. And then also just, like, I mean, he's living on the road, essentially, before he goes up to Alaska, which is, like, that's what we do. I mean, it's yeah. a little different because he was in a car and then he gets rid of his car. But 
I think that's why, you know, I told you I'd heard about it for years, yeah. the book and the movie and just the story, but had never got around to like pursuing reading it until when it was suggested and represented while we've been on the road. Mm-hmm. And it immediately was like, I want to read that right now. Yeah, <laughs> and did. both of us kind of like knocked it out. Did. Yeah, We just We're like, dropped that sounds, everything and yeah, read it. It sounds like the most intriguing read. And it, maybe it's just something to do with our mindset behind van life and how we've been living on the road and living in the wild. Um, but I think that definitely played a part in that. And there were things too. So he... Long story short, he lives on the road for, like, two years. His main goal is to get up to Alaska, live in the wild in Alaska, uh-huh. and he eventually does get to do that, and that's where he dies. He's, like, mentally prepping for this all along the way. Yes. Like, uh, from, like, hitchhiking all across the Southwest and even, like, the Pacific Northwest. Oh, yeah, he's up oh, in Washington, Oregon, yeah. California, Arizona, Utah. Colorado? Does he make it to Colorado? I don't think he stays in Colorado while he's on the trip. Yeah, there I know wasn't... he does. They, uh, Ron drops him off in Grand Junction. Oh, because he's which trying is where... to get back to Dakota. Yeah, Dakota. Dakota. Yeah, South yeah, yeah. Dakota. And then eventually make his way up to Alaska. So, of course, along his way, before he gets to Alaska, while he's hitchhiking across the U.S., he meets a lot of different people. You get to hear from a lot of those people in the book. Um some of the people who wrote the author being like, I have some info. I, yes. I know this guy. He was yes. my friend. Yes, yes. Um, and he works kind of odd jobs along the way. He's really not, I mean, he's not attached to money at all. And I obviously, I definitely think if he didn't need a job, he would not be doing them. But He like only got a job when he like knew needed he needed it. to kind of get to the next spot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which even then, I mean, I feel like his jobs were very, like, short-term, temporary, like, less than a month each time. Um, It's just, it's interesting, though, to sit and read, too, about, like, all these people that he met while, like, living on the road. A lot of times it's someone who picked him up hitchhiking, and if they really, like, hit it off, he would end up, like, staying with them for a Mm -hmm. little bit. And it's just so interesting because just paralleling our life with that, like, that happens with us too. Like, you know, we'll be staying mm-hmm. next to someone and we meet them and maybe we hit it off and then, you know, we're friends and like we meet back up and see each other. And he did that with some of these people. Um, I remember like Jan and Bob specifically, he meets them one time or mm-hmm. he meets them and then they go their separate ways for a while and he will send them postcards, keep them updated on his life, even mm-hmm. though he probably only hung out with them for like a week or two. And then later on in his story they end up meeting back up again and hanging out for a while Mm -hmm. and that just felt really similar to some of our life circumstances as well yeah i thought that was really cool too because a lot of the information the author gets from these people he met were through uh like postcards Mm -hmm. or letters that uh alex would send back to these people after Mm -hmm. he had like stayed with them and really connected with him and i think all of them mentioned all the ones that like had letters in the books were like even in the short time they came across this super tramp Mm -hmm. he like really had an impactful yeah experience in their life and so they were willing to share that information and even share the letters he wrote them which for a guy i mean during these two and a half years he was not writing or saying a whole lot of words or like putting out information out so the letters he was writing to these people he had he had wrote on the road you could see that they really meant something to him and he meant something to them even though they had barely crossed paths yeah i think that was the cool part is once you realize you could just read it in his words that he was writing like that these people he held really really close in his heart and obviously Mm -hmm. you could hear it in the words of the people saying this in the book that 
he was really close in their hearts too, even though the number of days spent together might not have been a lot. Yes. And the movie goes into more in depth (laughs) with some of those relationships where information is missing (laughs) in the book. Take some freedom. Yes. Take some creative freedom. So yeah, a movie came out about the book in 2007, I believe. Um, And we watched, we actually watched that the other night Mm -hmm. too, after we had both read the book. Uh, It's on Netflix. It's like two and a half hours long. It's pretty long. And it is a very interesting movie. It is really interesting. And there, I mean, if you just watch the movie and don't read the book, there are some things, there are some storylines in the movie that were not present in the book, but... As with any movie book adaptation. (laughs) But this one just... Since I mean, it's based some, on a true story, yes. you know, you kind of assume everything you're watching is going to be true. There's truth to it, but <laughs> then reading the book, you're like, definitely like the movie expanded upon some of these like yeah. storylines that we just get little hints of yes. here and there in the book. Yes, yes, And that, that's fair. That's what a movie is a visual. So yeah. they need to tell something visual. And one thing they do really well is I think every, the people they, he comes across who were mentioned in the book and the movie, they show like how he kind of has an impact on them. Mm-hmm. Like one way or another, whether it's like kind of fixing this couple's relationship, which was not mentioned at yeah. all in the book to yeah. like, I don't know, just. I mean, inspiring, other... inspiring Ron. Inspiring to Ron like... to kind of live a nomadic yeah. life and give, like get rid of his, move on past his possessions. Change and the his thought lifestyle. Of his, yeah, change his lifestyle. You kind of, the movie does a good job of like showing that even though some maybe even be in one scene, like, Chris had an impact on them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm going to be switching between Chris and Alex the <laughs> whole episode. It's the same dude. His legal name is Chris, but once he started his new identity, he decided to change his name to Alex. Mm-hmm. And so all these people he meets on the road knew him as Alex. Yes. And it's interesting. Which that... is why no one could also find him on the road. Yes. When they were searching on information because he got rid of his birth name. The interesting thing here, though, I think with those relationships with these people he's meeting on the road, and then I think of, like, his family, is, like, he, you you could argue, I'm just going to play devil's advocate here, mm-hmm. you know, you could argue, like, he had everything anyone could ever want. He had parents who loved him and gave him whatever he needed and more or and wanted. And smart and well-off. Smart, and... well-off, and... He had a sister that he actually was really, really close with. I mean, if you haven't picked up on it by now, he was not close with his parents. Or there was always, it was a strange relationship, Mm -hmm. I guess you could say. Um, But he was always really, really close with his sister. So he had that. He had. Close to his dog. Close to his dog. (laughs) He had friends. um, And like, you know, based off of his history, like it seemed he could be, he could fit in like pretty much anywhere, it seemed like. Mm -hmm. And then you hear about him on the road. He leaves all that. And then you hear about him on the road and hear about how quickly and easily he was able to connect and impact people's lives and, like, you know, really be a special soul along their paths as well. So it's just interesting. It The, the mindset to me is interesting. Like, if that is, like, an aura or part of his personality and at the same time he also wants to be no one, you mm-hmm. know? Like, you would think that person... Or someone with that personality, um, they feed off of that and, like, want to be someone mm-hmm. or know the impact. I don't know. That it was just an interesting... Well, you think he'd want to be more, to weigh. Co- more connected to people. And he wanted to be he... completely isolated in the end. Yes, but that changes. It does. It does. We'll get change. to that. We will get to that. But, yes, it does. Like, someone like that, you would think that they would be, like, ingrained into... 
uh, like societal life and. I guess you wouldn't think their end, like biggest adventure or goal in their life would be to, be to live alone <laughs> in the like barren Alaskan wilderness with no contact yeah. to anyone or anyone, and that his that is his personal legend. Yeah, like I understand the idea of like an introverted extrovert. Mm-hmm. I understand that idea, but this feels like way more extreme. Honestly, on both ends of that, it's the most introverted, and then also like the most extroverted. Yeah, in small little segments. Yeah, yeah. So just like, I don't know, learning. I've always been really intrigued by like personalities and kind of the mind and like how that works, and just like learning those things were just really interesting to think of one person living with those two, mm-hmm. living in those two extremes. So what notes do you have on this book? <laughs> so, I, yeah, so uh, did we finish the summary? Yeah, we, <laughs> we did. the summary, yeah. So eventually he makes it up to Alaska and then just walks out and then finds a bus, <laughs> actually uh, an abandoned bus to live out of. And then uh, and it works for like three months mm-hmm. or like during the uh, summer in Alaska. but By himself. By himself. and But it does not end up that way. He ends up dying in the bus and then Mm -hmm. people find this body like three months after he died or something i think i think it was like 16 days 16 days yeah yeah 19 days okay (laughs) somewhere between 16 and 19 days no no idea yeah Uh, and then that is kind of how it ends yeah so the alaska part i mean when they find his body they don't know who this person is they don't know how he died because there's all these scribblings on the bus of Alexander Supertramp. Yes, so they know that. Yeah, but they're like, there's no one out there named Alexander Mm -hmm. Supertramp. Yeah. So it takes a little bit for them to kind of piece together the story, obviously. And then also to piece together his death, which still kind of remains a mystery. Yes, that is one of the kind of climactic parts of the book is like, how did he die in Alaska? And it's changed since the author originally wrote the articles mm-hmm. back in 96 to now. And actually, yeah, to now. And even past the movie. Because the movie doesn't tell the most accurate or updated no. way he does. Yeah, yeah. Technically. That we think. I mean, still, even like the way that we now know the last idea, is that well, even like the truth? I don't know. It's still kind of unknown. I mean, obviously, it's hard to find out exactly how he died. So the the last idea that, that the author gives as to how he died, or like kind of his conclusion of how Chris or Alex died, is that he ate some molded potato seeds. Mm-hmm. And the mold in that seed was poisonous. And eventually, I mean, over time, it just destroyed his body and caused him to start he was already at that point very malnourished yeah and probably malnourished though he had been eating squirrels a lot Mm -hmm. and and also foraging which yeah originally people thought he had just confused some of his foraging like one type of potato seed for another type of potato seed that's poisonous but that didn't seem to be the case because he had been doing it for months for Mm -hmm. fine and there's just like one photo he had like a camera that he takes self-portraits with on this journey and he had one photo of him, like, holding up some seeds in a plastic bag that were probably around the time, like, Alaska was getting moist. Mm-hmm. It was, like, in the summer. <laughs> in the summer. And so they just, they were like, if those seeds mold, actually, they can, like, lead to this kind of uh, poison. Mm-hmm. And so he had been eating those seeds totally, totally fine. And then it does, it does just naturally make sense that they would mold in a moist bag. And he's yeah. probably not going to notice, you know, the at least the beginning stages of that. And yeah. 
And that's what, at that point, with how weak he was just overall, even though his mentality was strong, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it just, like, he couldn't he couldn't overcome it. And he just starved to death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the conclusion they've come to at this point. Because um, I think, too, they, I mean, of course they did autopsies on the body and everything and didn't, mm-hmm. didn't see any kind of, like, big injury. I think at one point that was a guess is that yes. he had been I think injured. the original article talks yeah. about how uh, that like came out in the newspaper talked about he probably fell and mm-hmm. then couldn't get out. Yeah, but that later later studies revealed that was not the case. Mm-hmm. So there's just so much mystery around this Alexander Supertramp. There is, and yet there's a whole book and movie written on just like <laughs> ten notes that he wrote people over the two and a half years. So I mean, they it's got very so. Intriguing. Like deep into trying to find information on this guy, that they were he carried a lot of books with him, and they were like looking through the books he carried with him on his journey into Alaska, and like noticing the things that he'd underlined or the things he had highlighted. Mm-hmm. Like that is, I feel like, how little information out there there was of him. That they were like, well, maybe we can get into his mind and maybe to what who he was if we look at what he underlined in these books. And I think you kind of do. You do because the action, his actions <laughs> line up a lot with what he's underlining. In these Toll the, Story and yes. Jack Jack London books. And Thoreau. And yeah, a lot of Henry he, David Thoreau. Yeah, he had a lot of London, Tolstoy, and Thoreau books that he had underlined different mm-hmm. passages or written passages in, on the bus that he was staying in. That really, I think, you start to get some of the picture of like what he was pursuing. Yeah, and I think, what do you think that was? What, what picture think? did you get that he was pursuing? Oh, man. Wow. Well, here we... I think this dives into it. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about, like, themes of the book. Um, what was he pursuing? I think his personal legend. <laughs> Check out The Alchemist if you don't know yes. what that means. Um, to paraphrase Thoreau, I think he was searching for truth. Hmm. Do you think he didn't have a lot of truth in his life previously? Yes, that is how it seems like the story was made out. Yes. To, or how it was told to me in the facets it was told via book and movie. Mm-hmm. And I think the movie actually does a really good job of, there's a quote in it that I couldn't find, but um, of kind of like playing on those two things where his like previous life and the life he kind of viewed as the rest of society was living was mm-hmm. technically always a lie, a day-to-day lie. Mm-hmm. And that he needed to strip himself completely of that persona and that connection to that in order to live every moment in truth. Wow. Wow. That's what I think he was searching for. And this, I mean, there's another detail too we didn't bring up that I think was a huge catalyst for this truth-seeking journey Mm -hmm. is um, he finds out that his father... um, his father was married before his mom. Mm-hmm. Then he married Chris's mom and had Chris and his sister. Then at some point after that, his father got back together kind of secretly with his first wife. and had... He would never like technically divorced from. Yeah. I don't know the details there, but, but got like... back together with her mm-hmm. secretly. Like he was still married to Chris's mom or together with Chris's mom, whatever they were. Had another son with his first wife. And then came back to Chris's mom and just totally hid all that. They hid all that from or Chris just like, and his sister. Yeah, hid all that. But I felt like his mom knew and he was just kind of like holding command over her. Yeah. Based on like the business they were running together. Mm-hmm. And so 
yeah the movie kind of in this i mean still you don't get a whole lot of details on, not like, in the book or the movie really i mean this is the part where i think in all of chris's backstory there it, it, like it makes sense to frame it this way but it still doesn't you never hear any words from chris being like it was my parents that led mm-hmm. me to like really get to this mindset that is the biggest inference i think that the book and the movie both make yes. is that like his parents led him to this spot yes and like this role of his parents living this like double life and yeah. this lie and that he they had lived essentially his whole childhood yeah which... like they had this huge secret that they were keeping from mm-hmm. him and his sister and his dad kind of had this whole life event yes while chris was still like even though he thought it was all perfect always Mm -hmm. and he's like it was actually not that way and he said like every day he looked at his parents he just saw them living this lie Mm -hmm. so do you then agree with like the story being framed that way like do you think that was it or do you think that was a huge factor i mean i i think so i think not to reference our other podcast, but we've talked a lot about it in, uh, I think, our van life stories mm-hmm. and in the Midday Ramblings. Thank you. No shameless plugs <laughs> there. Go listen to those episodes. Um, just about how much, you know, you're raising your childhood affects who you are. Your yes. mentality and who you become. And, like, even in the first five years of life can shape who you're going to be, grow to. And so I definitely feel that also from, I mean, I agree with it. And then I feel like we both feel it on a personal level too like i think everyone does you're impacted by how your parents are raised you and how you view them and the lens on which that life is kind of presented to you as you grow up Mm -hmm. and people will either kind of choose it or completely reject it Mm -hmm. well and there too is like uh how do you how do you react i mean this might be a little off topic like how do you react when you realize your parents like aren't perfect people Mm -hmm. you know i think we've come we've had talks about coming to that like mm-hmm. epiphany it's like oh man at one point you realize your parents aren't those perfect divine beings yeah and then how do you start viewing i guess in chris's mind he started viewing everything before that then as, as a fake. lie yeah and since they continued to live as they were mm-hmm. every moment it was just it was it was a fake mm-hmm. it was like a tv show it did between the book and the movie seemed to like you could feel it like just like i feel like it just like the anger was growing and growing Mm -hmm. or the frustration or the annoyance and both the book and the movie frame it as to like that was the main driving force behind his like just total leaving abandoning yeah choices the movie takes even more liberties with some shots of chris in alaska like monologuing to himself like what his father hypothetically used to say Mm -hmm. to him like while he was growing up and how he was just for dramatic effect for dramatic effect no i respect the movie yeah a lot of that information there's just a a lot of gaps in the information Uh over the years and so it's amazing that the story is as captivating and well structured uh as it is Mm -hmm. because yeah there's not a whole lot (laughs) a guy guy wrote a book about nothing (laughs) about some guy he knew nothing about an author became a detective yeah, and, and still found story. out not a whole lot, but it's... but enough to write like an almost two hundred page book. But that's where I feel like what how the story of a guy trying to disappear from society has now become like a persona. Yeah, of it is because yeah the what he was pursuing was like greater than a sense than Chris McCandless. It was truth. this truth, aka Alexander Supertramp, and I think it can relate to anyone. Yeah, well, it does 
seem like he eventually ends up finding that truth or mm-hmm. at least coming into relation with it. Um, because this was towards the end of his time in Alaska. Um, so he, they, he died. They come to conclusion that he died, I think on like August 18th. Three days after I was born. It's sometime in mid-August. Is Actually, when they, I was already born when he died. Is when they come to conclusion that he died. And this was on July 2nd. So this was like just a little over a month before he ended up dying. Um, it said that he had finished reading Tolstoy's Family Happiness. Um, and he marked several pages that had moved him. So this is from um, Tolstoy's book, Family Happiness. And this is what Alexander Supertramp had underlined in that book um, just like a month and a few days before he died. He was right in saying that the only certain happiness is life in life is to live for others. I have lived through much, and now I think I have found what is needed for happiness. A quiet, secluded life in the country with the possibility of being useful to people to whom it is easy to do good and who are not accustomed to having it done to them. Then, work, which one hopes may be of some use. Then, rest, nature, books, music, love for one's neighbor. Such is my idea of happiness. And then, on top of all that, you for a mate and children, and perhaps, what more can the heart of a man desire? So finding, on July 2nd, a Chris McCandless or an Alexander Supertramp who would underline that in a book just seems like a very different Alexander Supertramp than the one two and a half years earlier who started his journey. And it feels like he found his truth. And then what is he looking for through that passage? Or what did he find? What is the truth you're seeing in that? I think he found that he found his truth and he's ready to bring that into society now. Mm -hmm. Ready to bring that into community with other people. Yeah. And it even goes as far after that, um, the day after he underlined that, read that pass, or I guess the day after he had like finished that passage in his book, um, he tries to leave Alaska. Yeah. He actually tries to go back to where he started on this trail. He had like finished his big adventure. Mm -hmm. He had lived in Alaska from like April or May to Mm -hmm. July and was like, you know what? I did it. I found my truth Mm -hmm. like you're saying, and I'm going to, I'm going to walk back into society. Yeah. And he was ready to do it. He packed up and started head back towards the road. I would assume with intentions of hitchhiking. I don't know where he would he was planning on going, but hitchhiking no. back to somewhere. And he comes across this river that he had crossed, obviously on his way out. Mm-hmm. But now that it's July, it's Alaska. Um, a lot of the glaciers had melted since he had last crossed this river. And so it's not a crossable river anymore. Mm-hmm. Rushing water. He knew he would drown if he tried to go in there and cross it. So, a little disheartened, he decides to go back to the bus, wait it out until the river dies down, who knows how long that would be, and then try to cross it again whenever whenever that time comes. But unfortunately, that time does not come. Yep, and this is when he ends up eating the moldy, poisonous mm-hmm. berries, or seeds. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's a weird little tragic 
story. Yeah. That they Tragic. think happened. I guess he does say he's like going. He does write at one point in the yeah. journal that he's like going back. His journey has been completed, mm-hmm. and he's ready to return to society. And then they're like, he, I, "We guess he came across this river and couldn't cross it." Well, no, he writes in his journal when he gets no, he back does. that the river was uncrossable. Gonna wait it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. that ends up being it. Yeah. So it's this beautifully tragic twist at the end. Where he finds his truth. Like, not only, (laughs) like, of course it would be sad if he didn't find his truth and just was still really, like, gung-ho about Mm. being in the wilderness and being on his own and accidentally ate some molded seeds and died. Like, that's obviously really sad. But the, like, tragic twist is that he seems to have found what he was looking for and felt really ready to like share that with people yeah and it yeah the even one of his first notes where the book title comes from is like he writes one of his friends he met on the road wayne westerberg mm-hmm. and he's like wayne if you don't ever hear for if you never hear from me again he's like you're a good man he's like now i journey into the wild mm-hmm. and then uh, one of his last notes it, he mentions how now he is trapped in the wild mm-hmm. um Mm-hmm. But even then, to further on how he kind of found his truth at the end, he, and and how it's also kind of shifted from the original Alexander Supertramp we found, is the quote he says. Um, uh, I think it's on page one eighty six. Hold on, Go for I have it. it written down. Pull it up. Pull it up. Uh, like a dynamic shift, kind of is in his mentality. Um, since he's been on this journey, that you were just detailing. And mm-hmm. then, uh, I can't find it. Anyways, he writes <laughs> down that now he knows that, like, happiness is only real when shared. shared. Yeah, I remember that. And, like, it had all been, even though he made these, like, great friends and, like, his family on the road through these connections, he was always, they were always, like, he was always so quick to leave. He was always just, like, he would come and go, but then he was pursuing something else. And, like, it felt like he found it in Alaska. And he's, like, actually, he's, like, the real happiness is when it's shared with others. Mm-hmm. Which is another tragic. Because <laughs> mm-hmm, he did not get a chance to do that. Yes, but uh, in one of his final notes that they found, he says, what, he is happy and seemed content. They found, like, a self-portrait of him that was pretty close to the time he died. Yeah, um, of him in front of the bus. Him in front of the mm-hmm. bus with a note that says, like, I have lived a blessed life, mm-hmm. um, and I am happy to... I'm going to butcher this. <laughs> did I not write it down? I thought I wrote it down somewhere. That's okay. But, while while you look for that, um, oh, here's the extremely. Here it is. Uh, he noted happiness only real when shared. He noted that in one of his books. Here, yeah, towards the end, and then it's got to be. He makes it to day one hundred. <laughs> oh, here it is. <laughs> uh, he writes, and it's on the back of a page in the book. He says, "I have had a happy life, and thank the Lord." Goodbye and God bless all. So it seemed like he was still in good spirits as he slowly deteriorated in Alaska. From a just a watching movie standpoint, that was really hard to watch. It was. I mean, I mean, he just he dies a slow death. He a slow death. He finds out, I don't know, weeks before he dies that he's going to die, and yeah. he knows it's going to be a slow process of just starving. Mm-hmm. And like his body just rejecting itself. Yeah, like, like he could still eat, but at the time, like since the seeds had poisoned him so mm-hmm. much, they weren't just good. they were like blocking the nutrients. He was mm-hmm. just like eating and then like getting rid of it. So yeah. he was he was just gonna starve. Yeah, 
and it's, I mean, reading that, you can only imagine how just excruciating that process must be. Watching it was, was hard to see as well. But I think it's, I mean, he had time to compete to peace with it, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it seems like he did mm-hmm. based on his note. Yeah. but I'm sure you just reach a point of this is what's happening. I have to come to peace with it. You know, I think that was what it is and then, or what it was and him finding like the answer he was looking for mm-hmm. all along felt like that also kind of played a part into him being like, you know what? I found it. I've lived the life like I wanted to. I found the truth. Like I was going to go do more. Or, like, be more of a part. Mm-hmm. He's like, but I didn't, it wasn't necessary. Maybe he's being the part now. Maybe his happiness is shared now through the book and through his movie. Maybe that's the whole Maybe that's twist. it. Yeah, I think it is. I like his spirit. His spirit has definitely been shared. Yeah. The spirit of Alexander Supertramp. <laughs> he has been shared. Yeah. Um, but, so that, so truth, search for truth. Truth is a theme. <laughs> And truth is a big theme. Also, like minimalism, I think part of, of his like, I mean, like we think we're living a minimalistic life right now with all of our possessions in a van. Alex had nothing. Yeah. Like literally, he had. Everyone would be like, he bought a ten pound bag of rice and yeah, uh, a liked, backpack, and that's mm-hmm. like all he ever had on him. He had burned the rest of his cash in a wad um, early on in his journey, and every night he would like pick up things here and there from like boots to a knife to a machete, but sometimes he would leave them with the people and be like, I'm not taking this. Like, yeah. I don't want your stuff. They did mention a lot of times like the hitchhikers or the drivers who would pick him up while he was hitchhiking would be like, do you have this? Do you have this? And he'd be like, no. Mm-hmm. And they would try to give it to him. And a lot of times he either wouldn't take it or they would really have to like force it on him. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, the guy who dropped him off at the trailhead in Alaska that he ended up hiking into the wild on um, asked him if he had any like waterproof boots. And he, Alex didn't. And he was like, okay, you need waterproof. Like yeah. it's still so much snow out there. You need waterproof boots. And he really had to like force Alex to take the boots that he was trying to give him, mm-hmm. which Alex did. But... Which is one reason a lot of people hated hated on the story, or he got yeah. he got a lot of criticism was because it does seem he was very like he was very unprepared for the circumstances he was trying to walk into, yeah. like the goals he had, like he was trying to bite off more than he could chew, but he also did it. Like he lived in Alaska <laughs> for three months, not I'm not gonna say it perfectly, but he he was he had made it. Well, I think one of the biggest criticisms that I have. Um, is he didn't have a map. But he wanted to map the area. He was, like, literally getting down to the bare minimum of, like, <laughs> I'm going to map the area myself. I don't even have – I don't even want to bring a map. I mean, I get that, but he didn't have a map, and, I he mean, had, like, a map, you... a gun, a machete, some boots. Oh, he didn't have a map. Oh, he didn't have a map. <laughs> but he had, like, a gun, a machete, some boots. And, I mean, a lot of Alaskans have um, called him out on even, like, the gun he had. Apparently it wasn't – Proper, for, proper for like hunting, like moose and caribou and the yeah. the big animals that you really need if you're going to survive out there. But the map thing, I think, really like hits my heart because when he does try to leave Alaska and go back into the he found his truth. He's trying to go back into the world. He gets to that river and sees that it's rushing now from all the melted glaciers and he doesn't think he can cross it. If he'd had a map, he would have seen that there was like a some sort of ranger station not too far down the river with 
a pulley system that he could get in yeah. and cross the river. Not the, I don't think there was rangers there, but there was like no. a, a crossing system to cross yes. the river when it's this way. Yes. As well as there was like three or four different cabins mm-hmm. in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, like if he'd had a map, he would have been able to get out yeah, when he probably. wanted to. Yeah. And that like breaks my heart. That, that, <laughs> I, that makes it even more tragic. I think it's just another layer of tragic. I mean, he also wasn't that far outside of Fairbanks, mm-hmm. which is people like he wasn't that into the wild but yeah he was completely cut off from society minus yeah. living in a bus yeah but i don't know like i hear things like that and that to me just adds another layer of tragic and i think for some people well definitely for some people made them just like angry and like he's so stupid he's so dumb mm. he didn't even have a map like he could have easily said like i don't feel bad for him at all he could have easily saved himself like he yeah some people like view it as i think like a Careless, reckless, stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if he really wanted Heavy to survive this, he would have. Yeah, if he was really trying to measures. do what he was saying, to, like what mm-hmm. he was going to do, then he should have done it way differently. Like, so that to me just adds another tragic layer. But, like, I agree with you. Like, he did He did it. And he, he did it. And he it did it his way. Potentially went for these molded seeds. Which well, I guess he didn't do it. it. He died. I don't know. Are we giving him too much credit now? <laughs> Dude, I will We're say, like, he did it. I mean, the author, like, does warn you in the beginning that, like, he tries not to be biased, but, like... He is biased. He is biased. Yeah. <laughs> That's basically what he He's says. like, I try not to be. He's like, but I really feel for Chris. Yes. And so, after reading the book, like, you do kind of, like, get on that biased side that the author is on of, like... I'm totally on the biased side. I guess I am. I don't know why I wouldn't be. Why not? I mean, I think so... I'm on the bias side where I, it's, I think his, like what we're talking about, his spirit, his lasting spirit that I'm biased towards. The yeah. way he, he did it, I definitely would be a little more prepared at that point. <laughs> yeah. But. You wouldn't do it the same way because you're not him. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't think you would need to come to the truth he's going for doing it the exact same way. I think you can become a little more prepared. <laughs> but not, I mean, I get the mindset behind it too. He wanted yeah. to just purely try and live off the land. And at one point, the author like compares himself and a lot of other people he over time to like who these people who that. were just yeah, with that same, that same mentality of like, no, they do not want anything, like not even tools to build a house. Like they will just go and use whatever they can find to do it, like live purely off the land. And that was, I think, part of Alex's search for tr- for the mm-hmm. truth um it's almost his, like his minimalism like his ultimate minimalism i feel like the minimalism was like the ground that he was going to build his truth on or find his truth on because like it almost seemed like if there was anything that could help him in any way mm-hmm. that wasn't like completely completely vitally necessary like there there could be it, i don't know it could not be truthful like i guess i think of just like an i'm just now thinking of this like people trying to give him stuff to help Mm -hmm. him on his journey if his search is for truth and he's feels like he's been brought up in an environment or in a household or a family that just like was living a double life so there was no truth at all i'm sure subconsciously he kind of had that idea in his mind if people are trying to give him stuff like um that somehow, like, lie is built into that. You know, like, there's an ulterior motive, maybe, and so he didn't even want to trust it. He wanted to build the truth just on his, just in his little square, just in his yes. environment. That seems like reading a lot into something that may not be there, but I don't know. 
I mean, I'm, I'm they just could speaking be, aloud. Yeah, I'm you're just, doing what the I'm author exploring. did. You're having to like, guess where the gaps are. I'm just exploring. I'm just saying maybe. I'm not saying this is, like, truth. I'm, I'm not saying this is truth. We're, we're all searching for the truth about him on his mm-hmm. search for truth. <laughs> yes. We're, yes, we're all still searching for the truth because we still don't know completely how he died. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. other instances. But, yeah, he would turn down a lot of objects that people tried to give him that they would think were necessary to his travels and I can just see how that would mess with his idea of looking for truth he was just very unattached I mean I think part of how he viewed society was like I mean I think it's true too I echo the sentiment of like the possessions you own end up owning you Mm -hmm. and I think that was his you get this view of everything whether it's a gift that seems something useful or whether it's something he does Buy, like a gun or like even a bag of rice which everyone mentions he always had a bag mm. of rice on him favorite like, food maybe that's all he ever ate but like they weren't there was no attachment they were purely to serve the purpose and then even when sometimes when that purpose was finished he would just ditch them yeah like uh the dat son like mm-hmm. at one point he canoes down through mexico on this c- canoe and then just ditches it after a few yeah. months on the beach and moves on from it he's like so it, he's very non-attached to any possessions he does have that's true that's true. Even the ones he does end up taking, uh, he's still, there's just this non-attachment to it, mm-hmm. which is, I think, a huge part of his, the truth he's searching mm-hmm. for. He's like, he doesn't want possessions to get in the way. He's seen what they can do with the life his family had built and the life he had gone to in college. And he's like, that wasn't where he's going to find truth. There's so much noise. Possessions and all that shit just causes like noise from hearing the truth. He knew he wasn't going to find truth in possessions. Yeah. Like they could help him survive to find his truth, but he's not going to find his truth yeah. in them. And I totally agree with that. And I think we talked about even on our very first podcast of some of like why we wanted to move into a van. Mm-hmm. And I mean, still, even in the small space, it doesn't mean that we're free of that either. The possession, the bare minimum of possessions we have here can end up owning us, but it's the non-attachment, how he approaches them with non-attachment, but essential views that are mm-hmm. admirable. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It is pretty cool. And I mean, I think it makes you appreciate then those um, objects a lot more. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I do too. You view it as it's serving a purpose for you and you serving a purpose for it. And however long it lasts, that's how long it lasts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another uh, theme I had was to go along with all this. The truth. So I had truth, minimalism, and then like closeness to nature. Yeah. Which um, I think it's a quote in Daniel Quinn's book where he says, like, oh, man, I can't. I can't. <laughs> but he's like closeness to, to nature, like, uh, cultivates like a divine presence in you. Ooh. Like living close to nature. And I think um, I think it's in conversation with Ron, um, one of his close. But Ron was like an older guy he comes across who was like really tied up in his like societal structure and possessions and like memory of his former life it seemed like he had lived the same life for years years and years and was going to continue doing that until he transpired and this is where like the letters that alex would send them would send him even though they were super close would be like ron you need to like fucking change your life bro Mm -hmm. (laughs) he's like you're not living truth and but one point they do come they agree on i think in the books and then also they make mention of it in the movies um, Ron was a very spiritual guy and I think he like denotes that Chris is searching for some kind of like he doesn't want to call it God but he's open to the concept of God through his like search in nature mm-hmm. and I think 
he's just trying to pursue that kind of bare minimum truth that is found in the cycle of life, which kind of hits you. Like when you're living close to nature, it is, you're a part of it. Like, I feel like you see it and you live it. Um, it affects you, your, you breathe it. your daily life. Yeah, the weather, the sun, it's like you're, you really get connected to that kind of cycle. And I think a lot of in his journeys, even before he went to Alaska, he was trying to search, he was trying to live close to nature. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Even, yeah, before he gets to Alaska, he's He's living, living on the deserts. In where... his car. I mean, that's his only shelter, really, is his car. So he's yeah, technically like the first living month, in nature. And then he ditches the car and lives yeah. in what? Like a tent? They show him living in like a little lean-to in the movie that, at one point. I don't know. There's lots of, I mean, this is one of the big gaps, too, in his stories. Like, if he's not meeting up with people that the author was able to track down and talk with, there's like, we think he was here for a little bit, and then yeah. he went here, but still you're like... How did he get there and where was he staying? I don't know. Yeah, no one knows. Yeah. Like, he did stay at various little shelters here and there or, like, he stayed in some guy's RV on his mm-hmm. property for a little bit while he worked at McDonald's for it mm-hmm. <laughs> for yeah. a, a time to get some money. But, yeah, lots of times when he was just on out trains. in the wild after he had, had found his car, after he had ditched his car, which later people found, like, months later in the desert, um, no one really knew what he was living yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. And he just, I think he just wanted that bare minimum, like, connection to nature. No noise, no possessions, like, nothing. Yeah. To find that that truth, which Ron was calling, like, he saw it as uh, what he was calling God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like you feel that nurturing divinity once you get close to nature. Like, I mean, Mother Nature. That's yeah. what they, you feel Mother Earth. Yeah, you feel Mother Earth. So that was another big theme, I thought. And then, like, going to Alaska is a big adventure. That's my big adventure, too. We're still on the <laughs> same boat that uh, we need to go live in Alaska for as long as we can. Got to manifest but in the van. that. But in the van. <laughs> or not in the van. I don't know. I'm open to this point. <laughs> he was living in a bus that was stranded. I would, An abandoned bus. I would just be a little more physically prepared. Yes. And that doesn't mean I would have more possessions, though I would. Mm-hmm. Because we don't have an adequate axe. We have a tiny, tiny And I think I would take that, but (laughs) no, there's a lot of stuff that connects home with before we even moved into a van. Mm -hmm. I think my mindset and journey of uh, moving to Colorado and and just like over the years when I think back on experiences I've had in nature, it's all, it's, I felt all these things. I felt like I've seen truth in me and found truth in the cycle of nature and minimalistically that's cool you <laughs> i think one of the the biggest theme that i was able to that resonated with me in the book which i mean i think it like incorporates all the themes that mm. you have just said it's just i mean a journey the journey of self like it literally mm. is at the core of it no matter if you think it was too much too extreme or not Chris McCandless was just going on a journey of himself. And this was how it looked for him. This is what it needed to be for him. These are the boundaries he... Well, I don't know if he really set boundaries. He didn't really set boundaries. He kind of just left. Mm -hmm. But these are the doors he needed to close in order to get to that point. And it sounds like he found it. He found the journey into himself he was looking for. He found the truth he was looking for. And the journey changed him. The journey changed him. And... At the end of the day, I mean, I'm, I know that some people think he was dumb and stupid. And then I'm sure, you know, those that who really, really loved him and knew him well are just left with this huge hole in their heart. But at the end of the day, like, 
that's, I mean, that's if what you, you want can get to everyone. that, if you can get to that truth, like mm-hmm. that's, that's what life's about. That's what you want for yourself. That's all you could want for the people that you deeply, deeply love, or even people you don't know. I mean, that's what you want for everyone. Mm-hmm. And even as tragic as it was, and maybe extreme as it was for him to get there, he, he got there. He got there. And yeah, even though he was like 22 when he died. I think 24. Oh, 24. Yeah. Which a lot of people would say is even more tragic, but. I think something we learned every day in the van is like, it's not the time periods that matter. Like it's mm-hmm. the moments mm-hmm. that, and that can last eternities something in terms I, of importance. Yeah. And something that was so like stark with him, with Ron, the old guy that he, the older man that he met, kind of like a grandfather type figure is how mm-hmm. he's kind of portrayed is, you know, he meets this guy named Ron who's, I don't know, probably in his seventies. And, and, in Chris's eyes, Ron hasn't found his truth. Ron hasn't gone on this journey of self. Ron is just... Ron had a really hard... Ron is the crystal glass worker in, <laughs> in The Alchemist who just wants to stay in the shop and mm-hmm. like Ron had a, business. I mean, Ron had a really <laughs> tragic life event happen at the beginning of his life where he lost his wife and his son. And kind of ever since then, he's it just seems like he's he just... He like stopped living. He stopped living and just was like, I'm... I mean, he wasn't killing himself, but he was like, I'm just going to ride out this time until yeah. I die. Like, I'm going to do the same thing. Or, or was God. he killing himself? Where Alex thought he was living, but he was killing himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he's like, I'm just going to work on my leather, just live day to day, and then eventually I'll get old and I'll pass away. And I think oh. Alex saw that and was just like, whoa, dude, what, what is going on? What are you doing? So I would say in Alex's eyes, you know, the dying at 24 – the way he did with all of his journey of self and realizing his truth was way more of a life lived than a life like that, where maybe mm-hmm. it doesn't seem as tragic if someone lives to be, you know, 90 years old and then they pass on. Mm-hmm. But did they ever really live? Did they ever really find that truth? Did they ever really go on that journey of themselves? You know, yeah. so did they live 90 years or did they live none? Yeah. And Chris lived like two and a half years, he would probably say, you know. Yeah, yeah, as 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 the as the truth he wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was a cool thing too between the age gap between Ron, or a part of the connection between was the age gap where mm-hmm. Alex was like this twenty four year old kid and Ron was like a seventy year old guy, and Alex was still like, dude, you, it's not too late. Mm-hmm. Like he's like, it doesn't matter how many years or whatever has happened in the past. Like you can start living the truth that you want today, and like that will be all that matters. And that's mm-hmm. what I feel like Ron saw in Alex, even though he was only 24. Mm-hmm. And that's what Alex was seeing, that Ron could get there the same way, even though he lived 70 years of the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter where you're at in your timeline of journey. You can always change your path. Yeah. You can always begin now. Mm-hmm. And then what happened before doesn't feel like age. It just feels like experience. Yeah. That was, I just felt like, I mean, that is a pretty broad theme, but that is like, literally, that's just what stood out to me. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of different umbrellas under that, which I feel like we've kind of touched on, but. Yeah. Good book. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what do you take from this book? Man. You probably said it. But... I probably have said it. Um, all, yeah. All that being able to find truth and closeness to nature and not from what. I don't think society like openly tells us to find truth in these. It's just how you end up falling into the past. It 
projects, but mm-hmm. um, I mean, I think it's it's definitely I think one reason why we both pursued this life in the van. We've been living in nature for almost six over six months almost now. Almost seven. It's cr- almost yeah. seven months, and I would say that I've experienced all the truths, all the things he was looking for in this, even even in our travels. Yeah. Um, so that's something I've definitely taken from the book mm-hmm. well it kind of like it sounds like it like reinforced that for yeah you. yeah it reinforced a lot of that and then it also made me want to read uh reread walden like immediately yeah you have started. i had which was also funny i read i had read walden within the last like year and a half before we moved into the van and then uh it was one of like chris's core books shall mm-hmm. we say that he always... if he had an untitled reads podcast he would want to talk about walden well let's have an untitled reads podcast about Walden, <laughs> <laughs> in honor of chris um but it was a book i brought with us in the van and when uh, i read that i was like and you know what saying it something. is time for yeah, it is we cut we cut back on mm-hmm. the books and i was like i want to read walden again and already 40 pages in i can see why <laughs> it's great cool and I also wrote one of my last research paper on Thoreau in high school. Yeah. So I covered Walden and civil disobedience and some of his essays. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, reiterated a lot of that stuff. What about for you? What am I taking away from yeah, the what book? Did it, or what did it leave you with? I really think it left me with a feeling of, like, I'm where I need to be. Mm-hmm. It left me with a feeling of I'm on my own journey just like Alex or Chris was mm-hmm. and that I, I'm i where I need to be and the universe is guiding me along on this journey. And yeah, I don't know. Just that's That phrase just keeps coming to mind. I'm where I need to be. Mm-hmm. I'm where I need to be. And staying open to that. Mm-hmm. Staying open to that. I like that. Yeah simple that's it. simple yeah <laughs> and uh i forgot i had one more thing as all my notes that i thought it's kind of I feel like sums up another thing that's reiterated from me and one i think was one of like alex's pur- purposes in this whole journey was the quote the core of man's experience or the core of man's spirit comes from new experiences and i think that's a kind of a psychological thing that people study is like if you have new experiences, the moments feel more weighted than yeah. the time that they actually may occur in. Um, and yeah, so much of the rat race is not having new experience. It's getting, staying in the same cycle, doing the same things. And Alex was pursuing this like man's spirit is built on new experiences and learn and new experiences provide learning about yourself and inward mm-hmm. journey and all part of like finding the truth mm-hmm. but i think he's on to something there i think he is <laughs> I, just, I saw that and i was like wait holy shit i totally agree that. <laughs> <laughs> so i had to throw that in there but that that is the book and the movie uh you and should, our thoughts <laughs> and our thoughts on the book and the movie um great Great story, great intriguing read. It's such an intriguing read. Like it will have you gripped. I read it in two days. Like I could have read it and read it in one, but I did it in two and And I read it fast by my standards (laughs) of how I come to Maybe a week. Maybe like a eh, probably it was actually longer, yeah. Yeah. It was hard it was very hard to put down. It's very intriguing and I I really do feel like it kind of draws you get very drawn into this idea of Chris McCandless and who he is and what were his motives and 
Why was he doing this? What was he looking for? And also same with Alexander Supertramp. Slash Alexander Supertramp. And then you kind of like, you internalize it and kind of ask yourself those same questions too. Mm-hmm. Which is cool. Which is why I think even though it wasn't like a core book yeah. that uh, we had read over the years, once we both, like once I started reading it, I was like, Amy, you have to read this book. Yeah. Especially like in the van in van life. And then once you finish, it's like, we okay, now that we're doing this podcast here, it's like, let's do it on this book. Mm-hmm. Hey, like it has that aspect to it. It has so many good questions that are questions that we're asking too. And it's just a book. I mean, a, in my mind, like one of the best qualities a book can have is one that you can talk about for a long time after you're done reading it. And how long have we talked about this one? Over an hour. Yeah. <laughs> so, so good book. Okay. <laughs> That's how we'll judge a book now is how long our podcast goes on about it. <laughs> and now we rate this book a 7.3 out of 10. <laughs> Five I'm just stars. kidding. Five stars. 10 of 10 would recommend. Yes. But thanks for tuning in. Thanks for... Listen to us talk about Into the Wild. If you have not read it and you just listen to all this, I mean, I feel like this is one of the books. If you like listen to our podcast without reading it, you would be like, "Wait, I want to know more." Like, I and you should. Read that. It like doesn't spoil anything. The book and the movie are still almost as intriguing. Yeah. I mean, they, they tell you who dies in the first sentence of the book, so we didn't spoil anything. Yeah, yeah, no. So, and obviously, if this we're doing a podcast on this book, you're gonna know what happens in the book. Yes. Come on. Hopefully. Yes. But we love you all very much. Keep reading. We'll see you next time. Keep reading. Keep reading.